Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 7. Uh, let me read these verses and then we'll, we'll pray. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian believers. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we're so thankful uh, for the opportunity to gather together, uh, to encourage one another, uh, to sing songs of praise to you. Uh, Lord, you truly are uh, the majestic one. You alone are worthy of all our uh, worship, glory, honor, and praise. And so we thank you uh, for uh, the privilege to do that. Lord, help us in this Christmas season when our schedules can be uh, overflowing with uh, lots of activities. Lord, help us to keep our focus on you. And may you draw our hearts to uh, you and your word this morning as we again uh, focus on the fact that Jesus is the reason for the season. So speak to us today, open our hearts today, and we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're doing a Christmas series, obviously, uh, this time of year. And uh, last Sunday, we started out by thinking about uh, the prophecies of Jesus' birth. Did you know that there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus, we looked at four of them. Uh, We looked at the patriarchal prophecy where the Old Testament gave us some some markers to determine how the Messiah is going to come into this world. He's going to be from the seed of Abraham. He's going to be the the root out of the, the branch of Jesse, so he's going to come from the family of Jesse. And we know that Jesse had eight sons and We know the story of David. It was through then the youngest son, David, that the Messiah came. In fact, the Messiah is called the son of David. We looked at the the patriarchal prophecies. And and then we looked at the prophecy about the place of his birth. That Micah 5, 2, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah says the Messiah is going to be born in the little town of Bethlehem. We looked at that last week. Bethlehem, about the time of Jesus' birth, population 300, maybe 500, maybe 600, oh, little town of Bethlehem, yet out of you will come the ruler of Israel, and so the marker was, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We talked about the sovereignty of God as we saw God arrange circumstances for Mary and Joseph to get from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and how he worked through the census that was issued from Caesar Augustus. Well, then we looked at the procreation prophecy, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And finally, we looked at the protection prophecy, Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt I've called my son. The Messiah would be uh, called out of Egypt. Yes, the, the Israelites spent 400 years in Egypt. That maybe foreshadows this, but we know the Christmas story that uh, Herod was jealous and he issued an edict that all baby boys in Bethlehem would be murdered. And God, through an angel, warned Mary and Joseph, and so they traveled down to Egypt. 
And Mary and Joseph and Jesus spent the first year, perhaps two years of their life, as refugees, as fugitives, as displaced people in in Egypt. Well, there are many other prophecies. We just looked at four. This morning, we're going to look at the plan for Jesus' birth. The plan for Jesus' birth. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, we'll look at Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Not a traditional Christmas passage, but as I think as we unfold it this morning, we're going to see that uh, the Christmas story is right in this passage here in Ephesians chapter 1 as we think about the plan for Jesus' birth. Now, most couples, before they get married, um, have a discussion about family planning. Uh, The question is, uh, number one, are we going to have children? And if so, how many are we going to have? That's that's an important discussion to have if you're going to get married. I remember a long, long time ago, Diane and I had that discussion. I briefly remember it. It was short. If I remember this right, um, Diane said that she wanted four children. I said two. We compromised at three. That word compromise has been a key component of 45 years of marriage together. <laughs> compromise. And most couples talk about the family planning. I wonder if Mary and Joseph had that discussion. I mean, after all, they were betrothed. They were, uh, in our terms, engaged. It was a legally binding document. To get out of it, you had to have a, a divorce. I wonder if Mary and Joseph had a discussion about children. We know that um, later on, after Jesus' birth, that they had several other children. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, they had at least six other children after Jesus was born. But the Immaculate Conception was a complete surprise to Mary, and we know that from reading the Christmas story. But I want us to see that the plan for Jesus' birth happened, to steal a phrase, I think, from Star Wars, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And uh, here it is, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 14. In the original Greek, chapters, or verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence. Uh, I remember grammar, my grammar teacher, and, and learning how to write stories and projects, and I'd, I'd write my story and get the paper back, and there's like red marks all over it. You need a, sen- a period here, and, and you know, this is a run-on sentence. Well, if a grammar teacher would have graded this sentence, they said, run-on sentence, Paul. It's, it's, it's too long, but it's one long sentence filled with deep spiritual truth. And let's look at where it starts in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul starts out this section with praise. Praise for God. Uh, the church that I grew up in, uh, in Ohio, that my dad pastored for 18 years, we started every Sunday by singing a song called the Doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And that's a great way to start your day. It's a great way to start your worship. 
Paul starts with praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, uh, 164, seven times a day I praise you. We've been learning a new song here. It's um, probably a, 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 maybe 15 or 20 years old. It's by Matt Redman. We've sung it a couple times uh, recently. And it's called 10,000 Reasons or Bless the Lord. Listen to the words of this. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I worship your holy name. Paul starts with praise. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're going to see as we go through this text, he gives us seven reasons to praise God. Seven spiritual blessings that if you are in Christ, if you know Christ as your Savior, uh, that you are blessed with. We could almost call them seven Christmas presents. What God has done for us because of the incarnation. And so we're just going to kind of do a flyby on these seven because each one of them could be a message in their own. But let's look at the first one. It's found in verse 4, and it's uh, election. Election. Let's look at it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Here's blessing number one. For he... Chose us in him. He chose us in him. Now, the last few years, there's been a very popular uh, movie put out by Dallas Jenkins um, called The Chosen. Many of you have probably watched that. They're uh, live streaming uh, season three on Number one tonight. If you want to watch that on, on your live stream, it's a great story about the life of Jesus and the, the 12 disciples, the chosen ones. But I want you to realize this morning that if you are in Christ, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you too have been chosen. He chose us in Him. The Greek word eklego, it's aorist tense, middle voice, indicating God's totally independent choice. And when did this choosing take place? Look at what the Apostle Paul has to say. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have a a committee meeting, and God the Father chooses those who are going to come to faith in Christ. What is the purpose of that choosing? Paul goes on to mention it. Here's our purpose. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. John Piper in his book on providence, entitled Providence, addresses this doctrine of election. 
He says, he writes, the reality of election pervades the New Testament. Matthew twenty two fourteen. Many are called, but few are chosen. First Peter two nine, you are a chosen generation. Acts thirteen forty eight, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now if you have looked at this issue in scripture, there's two main theological doctrines, one called Calvinism that emphasizes the fact that God is sovereign and God makes that sovereign choice of election. There's another theological system called Arminianism that emphasizes man's choice and man's free will. And those two doctrines and theological systems um, have been debated and talked about for hundreds of years, probably uh, millenniums. And I don't completely understand the fact that God gives us free will, but he also says that he's chosen us. Probably the most simplistic illustration, and it's very simplistic, but this was described to me once, that there's a, a gate over heaven's entrance, and on the outside it says, whosoever will may come. That's the message of the Bible. And then when you uh, get to heaven and you walk through that gate, you look at the other side of the the arch there, and it says, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. How do those two uh, come together? I can't fully understand it. I know the Bible teaches both. You might say, well, if God's already chosen everybody to be saved, then why should we be involved in sharing our faith? Why have an evangelism explosion? Because God has chosen you and I to be the instruments to get the message of the gospel to people. He's given us that ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 uh, tells us that. Well, that's the first, uh, the first spiritual blessing that you enjoy if you're in Christ. There's a second one, and the second one is sonship, sonship. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Here's the second spiritual blessing God's given us. We are sons and daughters of, of God. Uh, that terminology is used all through Scripture. We have been placed in the family of God with all of its full rights and privileges. This is our identity. This is who we are. Uh, earlier in the week, I was uh, scrolling on, on Facebook, and I noticed an, an advertisement for a seminar geared toward retired people, and they said, we want to help you find your identity of who you are after you retire. Let me tell you, for a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to go through a seminar. Your identity is not in your occupation, your identity is that you are called and chosen and you are a son and daughter of the king. And he tells us that we have been adopted into God's family. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Some great verses for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
We've got direct access to God's throne 24-7. Don't never get a busy signal. Don't have to make an appointment. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So not only have we been chosen, but we have this privilege of being a part of God's forever family. Now these blessings kind of build on each other because uh, the third one is uh, how this all happened. And the third spiritual blessing is redemption. Redemption, that we've been redeemed. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes these words, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Many of you know what that word means. It's the, it's the Greek word agorazo. It means to purchase from the marketplace. We were slaves to sin. We were um, enemies of God. And God has purchased us from the slave market of sin. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, it puts the time frame on it, when this was all planned out. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. You were not, for you know that it was not with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen, so we were chosen. He was chosen, Christ, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, was planned out before the world even began. And Christ was chosen to be our Savior and our Redeemer. Seven spiritual blessings. We've been blessed and in Christ with election, and we're sons and daughters of the King, and we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There's a fourth one, and this is a great truth, that Paul goes on, in him we have redemption through his blood. Here it is, the forgiveness of sins. What's the result of, uh, of Christ's death on the cross when we put our faith in him? We are forgiven every sin past present, future, has been forgiven under the blood, removed as far as the east is from the west. In the depths of the sea, he will remember them no more. It doesn't mean that he forgets them. It means he will not hold it against us. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We were headed for a Christless eternity. We are on death row. And because of the blood of Christ, we have been forgiven. And there is now no condemnation. One author puts it this way, forgiveness is the legal act of God where he removes the charges held against us because atonement, payment for those sins has been made. What Christ did on the cross. Forgiveness forever solves the problem of sin in the believer's life. All sins, past, present, and future are under the blood. God has made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins having the canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 
we are forgiven. And when Christ sees us, he sees, when God sees us, he sees us as justified, our position just as if we've never sinned. How good do you have to be to get into heaven? Andy Stanley says, perfect. He's right. Because <laughs> God is holy. And so none of us qualify. But in Christ, he puts uh, us into the family of God because his righteousness gets credited to our account. And what a gift that is. Well, three more here, and then we'll be done this morning. Um, the seven spiritual blessings, election, sonship, redemption, forgiveness. Uh, the next one is the knowledge of the mysteries of God's will. This is verse, this is verse 9. Um, he's lavished his grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What is that mystery? To put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so this word mystery is used a lot in the New Testament. There's uh, the mystery of the church. Um, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians as well about a mystery. I, I, I tell you a mystery. Uh, we shall uh, all be changed at the rapture, will be resurrected. That was a mystery. The, the mystery of the church, that Jews and Gentiles would come together and form the church. But here's the, the mystery of God's will, that, that here's God's overall plan and purpose, last part of verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, it was a perfect world and a perfect environment, and they, they enjoyed that. And then sin changed everything, and so we go from Genesis 1 and 2, God's perfect plan in the Garden of Eden, where he's in charge of everything, and then sin comes into the world. But as we read through Scripture and we fast forward all the way to the end of the book, uh, guess what's going to happen? God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to rule and reign, and he's going to bring all things together, and we will have unity in heaven and on earth under Christ. The new Jerusalem's coming, our eternal destiny. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that there's a day coming when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's God's ultimate plan. There's a sixth spiritual blessing found in Ephesians chapter 1. As Paul goes on to um, list these spiritual blessings. Um, let, me, let me just go continue to read here. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Ah, there's splash, spiritual blessing number six. That God has given us what? The Spirit of God. And the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, the Bible says that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our heart, in our life. 
Jesus talked about that in the upper room, didn't he? That I have to leave because if I don't leave, the spirit of truth won't come. And he will guide you and teach you all things, but he will also be in you forever. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and left to empower people for special tasks and projects. In the church age, the Spirit of God lives within us. 1 Corinthians 6. What Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You don't, you don't belong to you anymore. The Spirit of God lives within you. And it says in verse 14, He is our deposit. Uh, the ASV says He's our pledge. The Greek word is erebon. It refers to a down payment or an earnest money given to secure a purchase. And so the Holy Spirit that lives within us is a pledge, a down payment, that the best is yet to come. And someday uh, we will receive our full salvation, our glorification, and we will be in his presence forever and ever. There's a seventh and a last spiritual blessing that uh, Paul talks about, all, all because Christ came, all because of the incarnation, and it's an inheritance. Uh, verse 14, the, the promised Holy Spirit, he's our seal, he's our deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so the seventh spiritual blessing that we have is if you're in Christ, your inheritance, you have an inheritance. Romans says we're, we're joint heirs with Jesus. We're co-heirs with him. We have an inheritance waiting for us. The best is yet to come for believers. That inheritance is a place. Our ultimate destination is the new Jerusalem. A place where there's no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, no more death. That's what God has planned for us. Our inheritance is a person. It's, it's Jesus, our, our Savior, our, our Redeemer. We'll get to worship Him forever and ever. Our inheritance is possessions. The Bible has a lot to say about rewards. In fact, when John writes in Revelation that Jesus is coming soon, and he says, my reward is with me. We're going to be rewarded for our, our, our faithful service to Him. There is an inheritance waiting for you and for me. Now that can encourage us, um, not only for us, but especially painful during the Christmas season is uh, when we think about um, relatives, lost one, lo loved ones that have died and gone on before us. And we feel and we sense that, that loss, especially at a time like, like Christmas and holidays, but if they're a believer in Christ, and this helped me a long time ago, and somebody said, when you think about what you've lost, think about what they've gained. Think about what they're enjoying. Think about that they're having the best Christmas ever in the presence of the King Jesus. And so the seventh spiritual blessing that we have is an inheritance and uh, Paul talks about these seven blessings, and it's, it's interesting that uh, God gave us all these for what purpose? So that we can praise and thank him. 
In fact, there's a phrase that's it's found in, in this passage three times, to the praise of his glory. Look at it in verse uh, 6, uh, these spiritual blessings. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Uh, verse 14, we're going to receive an inheritance. Those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory is three times. And so God has given us these blessings so we can what? Give him all the glory and all the praise. Well, let's conclude this morning with just three quick life lessons from um, Ephesians chapter 1 and what we can uh, kind of take home with us. And, uh, and here's, here's the first one, the Christmas story was planned a long, long time ago in a place far away. That the Christmas story is not um, God's knee-jerk reaction because of sin in the garden in Genesis chapter 1, and uh, chapter 3 rather. And so uh, God says, oh no, we need to have a backup plan. We need to go to plan B. What are we going to do? No, the plan of redemption, the story of Christmas, was planned way before the creation of the world in eternity past, before you and I were even born. God was thinking about you. And God purchased our redemption in this plan of sending Jesus into the world and uh, dying for our sins. So the Christmas story was planned before the the world was even created, that our Savior, Redeemer, would come. Secondly, continual praise should be our response for our spiritual blessings in Christ. How should we respond to what God has done for us and all these blessings because of the incarnation of what Christ has done, as Paul writes, to the praise of his glory? And this is how he starts the passage. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And so Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Our response to all that God has done for us should be a life of continual praise. Praising God for all that he has done. This past Wednesday, I have the privilege of uh, giving the lesson for our Truth and Training Awana group. And um, normally we have that lesson in our fellowship hall. Um, this last Wednesday, um, I thought, well, wouldn't it be uh, neat to bring the kids into the auditorium? And we had watched a, a, just a little video clip about the story of Jesus' birth. And so um, we brought, brought the kids, um, and these are, um, I think, third, uh, second, third, fourth, fifth graders. I had about 14 or 15 of them. And I brought them here, and they, they sat on the platform right here where I'm standing. I had them sit down. And uh, had kind of the lights down low, and the lights were glowing. And we talked again about the Christmas story. We talked about the gift of eternal life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I just simply asked them the question, uh, um, have you received the gift, the best gift, eternal life? And I had them think about that for a little bit. And then I said to them, um, I said, here's what I would like you to do. And they're, again, seated on the platform. If you've received the gift, would anybody have the courage, and again, these are eight, nine, ten-year-old kids, to stand up and just say, I've received the gift of eternal life. I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so it was, it was quiet for about 10, 15 seconds. The kids are all sitting there. We had some of our leaders on the front, front pew here. And uh, very thankful, um, Spirit of God prompted Ron Tindall, who's sitting right here, to stand up and say, well, I've received Jesus Christ as my, as my Savior. I've received the gift of eternal life. Another one of our leaders over here stood up, said the same thing. And then all of a sudden, that broke the ice. One by one, I forget who was first. One by one, the kids began to stand up and say, I've received Jesus Christ. I've received the gift of eternal life. Next one, pop, was like popcorn then. Man, that just broke open the floodgates. And they were able to make a, a confession that they're, they're, they're believers. They've, they've put their faith in Christ. They've received the gift. It's important to be able to verbalize that and do that. This is a start to get them to do that in front of their peers where it's comfortable. The challenge is outside of the walls of the church. But I was so encouraged and blessed to hear 15 young people stand up and say, praise God, I've received the gift of eternal life. Well, the third and last uh, life lesson from Ephesians chapter 1 is this, that history is his story. History is his story. Don, you know where I've got this maybe world history class Miss Eleanor Taylor, our junior year, taught world history from a world Christian life view, worldview, and I've remembered it ever since. History is God's story. He's writing out the story of history. It's already been written. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, listen carefully, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God is sovereign. God is in charge. The last chapter of human history has already been written, and God wins, Revelation 21 and 22. And our life story has already been written. God's planned and ordained uh, us to come to faith in Christ and he's planned good works for us to do, not to earn our salvation, but because of gratitude for all that God has done for us. And so remember, whatever's happened in your life, the good and the bad, is all part of God's sovereign plan. And he's working out his story in your life and in my life to the praise of his glorious grace. The plan of Jesus' birth wasn't plan B or plan C. 
planned out a long time ago before the creation of the world. And he had you and me in mind. And he chose us. He adopted us into his family. And he's redeemed us. We enjoy the forgiveness of sins. And he's got a lifelong plan for your life and mine. And our response is to forever give him glory and praise. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for these uh, truths that are in Ephesians chapter 1. Lord, we have just uh, just briefly touched on each one of these. But Lord, we're so thankful uh, for the fact that you are the sovereign God who a long time ago, before we were even thought of or, or born or before the world was created, you came up with a plan of redemption. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, may we take this uh, good news of redemption and forgiveness of sin. And Lord, may we not just uh, personalize it for ourselves and receive the gift, but may we share it with others. And Lord, thank you that uh, the last chapter of human history has already been written, that you will reign forever and ever and ever. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege to give you glory, honor, and praise today. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.